Thank you, Adam. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be able to join you in your homes as we uh, continue our series on the life of Abraham and how Abraham walked by faith. Uh, I encourage you to keep your Bible open at uh, Genesis chapter 17. Uh, if you don't have a, a Bible at home, uh, then you can download the, uh, a Bible app, um, uh, something like um, uh, the Bible Gateway on, on the internet uh, that helps you to be able to, to read the Bible. Because when we read in the Bible, uh, we're hearing God speak to us. And so it's really important that, uh, that we, we know what God is saying as we open up his word. And that's why uh, we have such an emphasis on reading the Bible and hearing from the Bible uh, in these services. Uh, so keep your Bibles open. And we're thinking this morning, as, as Nina has already introduced us, to the God of the impossible. Uh, in recent months, we've seen people achieving some extraordinary feats. Things that would have been thought impossible in the past have been made possible in response to the coronavirus. Create a new hospital in a matter of weeks? Well, that's been done. Find a potential new vaccine for a new virus. Well, that's been done as well. But there are th things which remain impossible for human beings to do. Maybe we can build a hospital in a few weeks, but we can't stop all the people in that hospital from dying. And we can find vaccines to immunize us against disease, but we can't bring people back from the dead. There are still many situations where we are helpless and hopeless as human beings. And it's at this point, the point at which we get to the end of our tether and we don't have any resources ourselves to change the situation that we're in. We need somebody to step into that situation and to help us to transform our hopelessness. So let me introduce you this morning to God Almighty, to the God who can do the impossible, the God who can transform helpless and hopeless situations. And it's this God who appears to Abraham when he's 99 years old and he tells him that he's going to have a son. After 25 years of waiting, the child that Abraham had been promised was finally going to arrive. Now, at this point in their lives, uh, it goes without saying that, that Abraham and Sarai were way beyond the point, humanly speaking, where they could have a baby. And so what they had done 13 years previously, they had taken matters into their own hands and they decided to have a child their own way through Sarai's slave, Hagar. Their faith in God's ability to do what he had promised seemed to have failed at that point. But God remained faithful. God was gracious and he provided a son for them, even though they did things their own way. And maybe Abraham and Sarai had got used to the, the idea that, that this son born through Hagar was perhaps the promised son after all. Now, this son Ishmael, Maybe he was the one that God was going to use to fulfill his promises to Abraham and to bless the world. 
And there've been 13 years now since Ishmael had been born. So much time had passed. They, they got used to this situation. Abraham was approaching his 100th birthday. Sarah was about to turn 90. How could they have a child now? It was impossible. Uh, here's a picture of a man that we've got used to seeing uh, on the TV and in our newspapers, Captain Tom Moore. Uh, he turned 100 uh, a week or two ago. And he's done some amazing things, uh, walking around his garden 100 times and uh, raising 30 million pounds for the NHS. But it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it, to think that, that Captain Tom Moore could have a child at his age. That would just be impossible. And yet this is exactly what God is saying to Abraham is going to happen to him. No wonder he falls on his face and laughs when God tells him this news. But God needs to teach Abraham and us that he can do what is impossible for human beings, that nothing is too hard for the Lord. You see, Sarai and Abraham had settled for this second best situation. They thought that another woman's child would be the promised son. And there'd be no word from the Lord for 13 years now to tell them otherwise until now. Until the Lord appears to Abraham. And he appears to Abraham as God Almighty. As the all-powerful God who can do the impossible. And old man Abraham, with one foot in the grave, is given a new hope and he's given renewed faith. And this renewed faith springs from a renewed covenant. We see that in verse two. God makes a covenant with Abraham. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. That means uh, to have integrity. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago how the Lord first made a covenant to Abraham back in Genesis 15. And a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties, like a contract. And within this covenant are contained promises, promises that one party makes to another and vice versa. And now what we see here in Genesis 17 is, is the Lord is renewing the covenant that he first made with Abraham. And he's renewing the promises that he gave to Abraham. And as the promises are renewed, they are strengthened and they are expanded. So the original promise you might remember uh, way back in Gen Genesis 12 was that Abraham would become the father of a great nation. But now Abraham's being promised that he'll be the father of a multitude of nations. Verse five. And that's why his name is changed uh, from Abraham, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. And Abraham is now being told that the children that are going to be born to him and, uh, and future generations are going to become kings. His line will be a royal line. 
what else do we discover about this covenant? Well, the covenant starts with God. It's his idea. He's the one who's initiating it. In fact, as Abraham is speaking, as God is speaking to Abraham, Abraham is flat on his face before God in verse three. It's all about what God is doing. The Lord's part is the most important part of the covenant. And this covenant tells us something really important about who God is, because he is the one who's making this covenant. It tells us about his character. And there's three things particularly about this covenant that reveal something about the character of the Lord. Firstly, this, this covenant is personal because he is a personal God. This is a covenant between me and you, says the Lord to Abraham. At the heart of this covenant is a relationship. It's not just a contract. It's about relationship. It's the promise to be your God, verse 7. This is a personal promise from a personal God. This is about God renewing, uh, not just the, the covenant with Abraham, but renewing an, an offer to Abraham to have fellowship with the Lord, to walk before the Lord faithfully. The Lord has already established this relationship with Abraham. He's already called him to, to follow him. But now he's, he's renewing that call. He's already made Abraham righteous. But now he's saying to Abraham, well, well, walk in that righteousness. Live out the relationship that I've given to you with myself. The Lord wants Abraham to walk with him and walk before him, to have a real and living relationship with a real and living God, because he's a relational God. He's a personal God. And I wonder, do you have a real and living relationship with this God? Could you say, well, he is my God and I am his. He is real to me. The covenant is also continual because God is a gracious God. Uh, this covenant is not just for Abraham. It's also for your descendants after you for the generations to come. Verse seven. And that idea is repeated a number of times. That this will be an ongoing covenant. And that's because God's grace cannot be limited to one person at one particular point in history at one time. God's grace is so big and overflows so much that, that it can't be limited. It, it flows on through the generations from one to the other. This covenant isn't just for time, it's also for eternity. It's an eternal covenant. And again, that idea is repeated that this is going to be an everlasting covenant. God will make sure that this covenant will never fail. It's an everlasting covenant because he is an everlasting God. When the Lord says to somebody, I will be your God, he means I will be your God forever. Nothing will ever stand in the way of my relationship with you 
not even death, can break the relationship that we have with God. He is an everlasting God. His promises and his covenant are everlasting. So that's the Lord's part of the covenant. But what about Abraham? Remember, this is a two-way thing between the Lord and Abraham. So what's Abraham's part? Well, we can sum up Abraham's part in one word, obedience. The Lord has stepped up his part of the covenant. Uh, the promises have been strengthened and they've been expanded. But Abraham's part in the covenant is also being stepped up. You might remember that the last time God made a covenant with Abraham, back in Genesis 15, that Abraham was actually asleep at that point. Abraham was passive. And there was really nothing that he could bring to this covenant in Genesis 15. But now Abraham is being called to take an active part in the covenant. He needs to keep the covenant. We see that in verse 9 and verse 10. It's repeated just to emphasize the fact that Abraham needs to do something here. He needs to obey. And you might notice how the I wills of verses 4 to 8 now change to the you shalls. The emphasis shifts from the Lord's part and the Lord's promises to Abraham's part, his response to God's promises. The Lord not only gives promises to Abraham, he also gives responsibility. The Lord requires obedience. He makes demands of those who walk with him. There's been a, a rise in popularity in Eastern mysticism and the various spin-offs that, that come with that. Things like yoga, meditation, mindfulness. And I think one of the attractions of this belief system is because it replaces a personal God with an impersonal force. Now, why might that be attractive? Well, I think it's because a person makes demands of us. A person gives us responsibilities. You have to work to maintain fellowship with a person. Relationships can be difficult. We're all finding that at the moment, aren't we? Just how much work has to go into a relationship, in maintaining harmony in a relationship, especially when we're all locked down together in a home. Abraham has to keep his side of the covenant. He's got to work at it. But an impersonal force doesn't make any demand. An impersonal force doesn't require any obedience. It just exists to make you feel good if, if you can tap into its energy in the right way. But the Lord is a personal God and he wants a personal relationship with you and with me. But like any relationship, that comes at a cost. We have to work at it. We have to obey. We can't have everything our own way. So what are the demands that God makes of Abraham? What's he asking him to do in this covenant relationship? Well, Abraham needs to be circumcised. 
and all the males in his household with him. This was to be the sign of the covenant. Now, covenants often had a sign associated with them, especially biblical covenants. Uh, you might remember the story of Noah uh, back in Genesis chapter 9 and how God made a covenant with Noah after the flood when he came out of the ark. And that covenant had a sign. Can you remember what the sign was of the covenant that God made with Noah? And uh, we're seeing this sign everywhere at the moment uh, in uh, people's windows and uh, on the TV. Do you remember what it is? It's a rainbow. The rainbow was the sign of God's covenant with Noah and his promise to Noah that he would not destroy the world by water again. There wouldn't be another global flood. Now, when does a rainbow usually appear? When do we normally see a rainbow in the sky? It's usually after it's rained isn't it, that we see a rainbow appear. And that rainbow is a reminder to us, it's a sign to us that God has decided not destroy the world by water. Yes, it's rained, but that rain, it didn't keep going. That rain stopped and the world is still standing and we are still standing and we are alive to be able to see this rainbow and to see this sign of God's faithfulness. To see God's promise come true. And this covenant of circumcision also involved a sign. And the, the sign involved the male reproductive organ. Because this sign of circumcision it was pointing to the promise that God had given to Abraham, that he was going to multiply. He was going to be fruitful. He was going to have lots of children. God would bless Abraham's family so much that they would become as many as the stars in the sky and, and the sand on the seashore. And from this family would come the promised seed, the promised child, the ultimate child of promise, the Lord Jesus Christ himself you see the sign and the promise go together the sign is intended to remind us of the promise and to strengthen our faith in the promise without the promise the sign means nothing circumcision meant nothing without that promise that abraham was going to be fruitful that he was going to multiply and become the father of many nations Now, as Christians, we also have a sign of our new covenant relationship with God. And that sign is baptism. Baptism uh, is a sign and a reminder of God's promise to us to give us new life in Christ, to raise us from the dead spiritually and to make us new to wash away our sins and to bring us into a living relationship with him. And just like with baptism for us now, the sign of circumcision back then for Abraham and his family, it marked you out as being part of God's covenant community. 
the community of faith. And by the way, that community in Abraham's day, that included male and female. It was just that the males had the, the, the sign, the mark of the covenant on their bodies. And, and that sign said to them and, and to anybody else, I am part of God's blessed people. And that's why it was so gracious for God uh, to say to Abraham, it, it, not just you are going to have this mark of circumcision, not just your, your son Ishmael, but all the males in your household, uh, even the males who weren't born in your household, even the foreigners, they are going to be included in this covenant community. They will have the sign of circumcision as well. Uh, that's how big God's grace is. His covenant is an inclusive covenant. And it's also why if any male was not circumcised in Abraham's family, he was cut off from the people and cut off from the promises of God. Verse 14, because he didn't have the sign of the covenants and therefore he'd broken the covenants. So that's Abraham's part. But we mustn't forget about Sarah in all of this, Abraham's wife. Sarah is also really important in this covenant. And it's at this point that the Lord drops the bombshell that Sarah is going to have a baby. The impossible is about to become possible. Despite being old and worn out by life, Sarah has not been forgotten by the Lord. He is going to bless her. She will become the mother of nations, kings shall come from her. This old lady is a princess in God's sight. In fact, she's always been a princess. Her, her name changing from Sarai to Sarah doesn't really change a lot. Both names mean princess. And she's a princess because from her will come this mighty royal dynasty. Kings like David and Solomon are going to come from her. And the promise about Sarah's miracle baby is again repeated in chapter 18 of Genesis. And the Lord appears to Abraham in a different way in Genesis 18. He appears when three travellers turn up at Abraham's tent. And in verse 10, the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah hears this. She's inside the tent as the Lord says this to Abraham um, at the entrance to the tent. And she laughs within herself. But it's a sad laugh. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? I wonder if you've felt like Sarah. If you ever felt like you're no longer of any use in God's plans and purposes, that you're too old or too worn out to be useful. 
has it ever felt like God's blessings and God's promises have bypassed you and they've gone to others instead? That you've been overlooked by God. Perhaps you see others enjoying uh, some kind of uh, joy and pleasure, but you've been left out of that. You have not been able to enjoy the same things that they have. Or maybe you felt haunted by the mistakes of the past. Perhaps even now you are still having to deal with the consequences of your failures. I think every time Sarah saw Abraham with Ishmael, the son that her husband had had with another woman, surely a a pain must have entered her heart. It must have been a painful reminder that she had failed. She had failed to bear her husband a child. Abraham had a son, but she didn't. She'd been left out of God's blessing and God's promises. She was standing outside the blessings of God. And she was looking in. And for her, at her age, it seemed impossible that she could enter into those blessings. It must have felt like she was excluded. But this is the God of the impossible. Nobody is excluded from his blessings, however hopeless their situation, however helpless they feel. So the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? 2,000 years after Abraham and Sarah, an angel of the Lord says something similar to another woman for whom it was impossible to have a child. Not because she was too old, but because she was a virgin. But the angel says to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. So the challenge to Abraham and Sarah and us is, will you trust God? to do the impossible. When you're helpless, will you allow God to enter into your situation and to do what only he can do, to transform it, to bring hope where there is hopelessness, to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, to do the impossible. You know, Abraham and Sarah were were ordinary people like me and you. Yes, their their names and their story and their history is written in the Bible. But they're ordinary people. And they struggled with grasping hold of the promises of God. They struggled at times to make these promises their own and to really own them and and to, to really trust them. In fact, if you look at Genesis 17, verse 18, we see Abraham's initial response to God's promise that Sarah is going to give birth to a child. 
And Abraham says, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. In other words, rather than rejoicing in what God had told him was going to happen and looking forward to what God was promising him, Abraham was clinging on to what he had now. He was focusing on the here and now, on, on Ishmael, the son he already had. If only Ishmael could live under your blessing. He was settling for something that was second best, a second best situation. And don't we so easily do the same? Don't we so easily settle for second best? Because we, we don't fully see and we don't fully believe what God can do for us. God had good plans for Ishmael, but he had better plans for Isaac, the son of promise, the impossible child. And over the years, Abraham and Sarah did learn to trust God. In fact, when we read the New Testament, they are commended for their faith in God and in God's promises. Uh, we read in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 21, that against all hope, when it looked like all hope was gone, Abraham, in hope, believed. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like to know, how do you get that kind of faith? When it seems like all hope is gone, how do you keep trusting in God's promises? In fact, how do you not only cling to God's promises in a hopeless situation, but actually find that your faith in his promises grow? Even when things are hopeless and you feel helpless, how do you get that kind of faith? Well, the answer is obedience. If you want to strengthen your faith in the promises of God, then you simply need to obey. If we do what Abraham did, if we do what God says, without hesitating, without thinking, is this a good idea or not? But we just do it. Then we too will find our faith in God's promises being strengthened. It simply requires obedience. But of course, obedience is rarely simple, is it? But through obedience, Abraham found that his faith in God's promises was strengthened. And we will find the same as well. And you, like Abraham, we too can have a part in God's covenant. 
Remember, the Lord said that this was an everlasting covenant. This covenant wouldn't end with Abraham. It wouldn't end in the Old Testament. It would keep going forever, for all generations. And, and that includes us. And this covenant was ultimately fulfilled when the promised son, the ultimate son of promise, the Lord Jesus Christ, came into our world. And through Jesus, God has made a new covenant through his blood shed on the cross for us. And you don't need to be circumcised to enter into this new covenant with God. Because you see, Jesus' flesh was cut instead of ours. And his blood was shed instead of ours. And because Jesus has done what was impossible for us to do, to cleanse us from our sins and to make us right with God, we can now enjoy fellowship with God. The fellowship that Abraham enjoyed 4,000 years ago, we can enjoy with God today through Jesus. In Genesis 18, we see the Lord eating at Abraham's table as Abraham's guest. And that was a great honour for Abraham, to be able to, to serve the Lord and for the Lord to eat with him. And it was a, a confirmation of the covenant that had just been made. It was a tangible experience of fellowship with God. But, you know, we get an even greater blessing. Because we have an invitation to sit at the Lord's table, to eat with him and to be served by him. And the Lord has provided the meal. The Lord has provided his son, his body and his blood shed for us. And we get to enjoy a living relationship with the living God, the God who is personal, the God who is gracious, the God who is everlasting, with God Almighty, the God who can do the impossible. Why don't we just take a moment uh, to think about what we've heard? Maybe to think about, well, do I have that kind of relationship with God? Do I have a real living relationship with the real living God? If you want that kind of relationship, then we'd love to be able to help you. And um, perhaps if you know somebody uh, within the, the, the Firmwood Church, then get in touch with them. Or if you've tuned in um, from YouTube, uh, from elsewhere, then please go onto our website, uh, newarkevangelicalchurch.org, uh, and we'd love to tell you more about how to have a relationship with Jesus. And if you already have that relationship, then you can rejoice in enjoying that fellowship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we were once your enemies. 
we were once disobedient to you. We'd rejected you. God and our King. But now you have seated us at your table. Now you have invited us to enjoy fellowship with you through Christ and through the covenant that you have made through his blood. We were once your enemies, but now we've been made your friends. Thank you that you can call us friends. You can call us to walk with you in obedience because you welcomed us. I pray, Lord, that we would enter into all the joy and all the blessings of that relationship. And, Lord, that we would obey, that we would trust you enough to obey what you ask us to do so that our faith in your promises would grow. In Jesus' name. Uh, well, let's sing together as we close our song.